When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Election College, Episode 59, The Election of 1960. It's a new era with a couple of candidates who were born in the 20th century. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. Yep, Jason. So, remember that 22nd Amendment? I do. The whole, you can't be president more than twice thing? Yeah. Eisenhower can't run, even though he is very popular. What a bum rap. You're the first guy who that law applies to. Yeah. And what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you want to get somebody in that you trust or you think would do a good job after you and hold up your legacy, right? Yeah. That sounds like a pretty good idea. I guess we'll talk about that candidate in just a bit. But how about that Democratic Party? You always got to have somebody opposing. It's just how it works. <laughs> right. So 1960, you're a Democrat. What are you going to do? You got this young guy. His name is John Fitzgerald Kennedy. He's from Massachusetts. He, he's a junior senator. Sounds mm-hmm. promising. He's got money. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. You got Governor Pat Brown. He's from California. Stuart Symington of Missouri and uh, Lyndon B. Johnson of Texas. And, of course, you got a couple of names who we've heard from before. You have Adelaide Stevenson from Illinois and Senator Hubert Humphrey from Minnesota. You've also got the good Senator Wayne Morse from Oregon in the running. And there's like five other people that probably aren't worth mentioning. But just so you know, they were there. Yeah. So, Symington, Stevenson, and Johnson... They're like, no, we're not going to campaign in the presidential primary. And by the time the convention rolls around, there's a need for a compromise. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting because um, John F. Kennedy actually initially was kind of told and suggested that, okay, you, listen here, son, you shouldn't run because you're too young and inexperienced and you don't really have a shot. And they're like, why don't you just run as a vice president for someone? You know, you can you can be in there in that mix. And he basically says, uh, I'm not running for vice president. I'm running for president. So get over it. I added the get over it part. <laughs> yeah. Even uh, former president Harry S. Truman was like, Symington, he's, he's the guy I'm behind. Now, one thing that was seemingly detrimental to Kennedy's election or nomination as the Democratic uh, nominee was the fact that he 
was Roman Catholic. Yeah, we talked about that back, what, in the 30s, 40s, yeah. somewhere mm-hmm. in there, that the nation, it maybe not as a whole, but a lot of people were very afraid of Roman Catholics becoming president, just because the nation as a whole was majority Protestant, and the whole fact that, well, the, the Pope is the leader of the Roman Catholic Church, and therefore, who would a Catholic person listen to other than the Pope? So the Pope is the president instead. Right. The thing Kennedy really had going for him was the fact that, well, he's a pretty good-looking guy. He's got a good-looking family. He's got a good-looking wife, good-looking kids. They're good-looking. Yeah. And they have money. <laughs> yeah. So what you going to do? Yeah, it's kind of rough because Kennedy's whole family and, and all his good-looking rich friends – uh, I keep emphasizing that, but that is an important point that right. he was good looking and had money. I mean, that's a really important point in this particular campaign. Uh, not that they didn't have other merits too, but they all go out campaigning for him. And I mean, you've seen pictures of Jackie Kennedy, right? I mean, she comes to your door. It's going to be pretty impressive for you. Right. There's just no, no doubt about it that those people had an impact uh, because of their campaigning and their appearance and, and their way they held themselves in the popularity of the candidate. Yeah, it's funny because here you have Hubert Humphrey from Minnesota, and he seems to be pretty mainstream Democrat. He's been around for quite some time. And in the Wisconsin primary, Kennedy has his gang doing this door to door. They are out and knocking on doors. And Hubert Humphreys, he said, he feels like an independent merchant competing against a chain store. And that's kind of the case. Yeah, absolutely. And then so we've got this crazy idea that we've got a a Roman Catholic uh, president. That's just insane. So to prove that we could get him elected, let's go to West Virginia, like the most heavily Protestant state. Right. And uh, there's a there's the first televised debate of the 1960 primary season, and they hold it in West Virginia. And Kennedy, of course, totally blows Humphrey away. And Humphrey, surprise, surprise, didn't have as much money, didn't have much money at all. So he didn't have all the advertising. He didn't have the uh, people on their feet mobilized to go to door to door. And when it comes down to it, he just didn't didn't compete as well. Yeah. Do you think Kennedy was singing John Denver's song, you know, Almost Heaven, West Virginia? <laughs> it's possible. It's actually probable. Yeah, because it kind of was almost heaven for him because he defeated Humphrey with over 60% of the vote. And Humphrey's like, I'm out. Right. And the the West Virginia kind of gave the Kennedy campaign a new drive. It gave them the idea that, yes, a Roman Catholic person can live, can win in a heavily protestant non-roman catholic state area and so um kennedy just continues to campaign and compete in the primaries yeah really by the time the convention opens up that summer kennedy's the by far in the lead you still had adelaide stevenson around and he seems like okay when you think democrat think Stevenson, but he was defeated so bad by Dwight Eisenhower in the last two elections that just seems like, okay, let's 
it's it's time for somebody else. Right. And nobody's really prepared by for for John F. Kennedy. Um and the fact that he has his brother, Robert F. Kennedy, on his side campaigning for him, who's also um, you know, really good at this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes it even more difficult for other Democrats. So by the time the convention rolls around, really the top challengers are Lyndon B. Johnson, who is the Senate Majority Leader from Texas, and Adelaide Stevenson. So we know Stevenson, okay, he's out. Johnson, however, is the Southern Democrat from Texas, which seems to be pretty stereotypical at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Johnson, uh, he challenges Kennedy to a debate, and they want to have a live televised debate, and Kennedy's like, all right, let's do it. So Kennedy kind of wipes the floor with him. He wins the debate, and Johnson just can't get any more support other than the support he already has in the South, which is substantial, uh, and that's important later on especially. Yeah, and I think Several episodes ago, we said, hey, you know your enemies, you know your friends. Keep your friends close, but keep those enemies closer. Let's make Johnson the running mate. So Kennedy says, hey, LBJ, come run with me. I think we actually came up with that phrase, Jason. Yeah. Keep your enemies close, but your or I'm sorry, your friends close, but your enemies closer. We coined that. That we were the first people to ever say that too. Yeah. So we, I just want everybody out there to know that we ran to the trademark and patent offices, and yeah, it, it's ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Kennedy wins the nomination. He asks Johnson to be his running mate in a surprise to, to many people. And it kind of happened very quickly. Many people knew about it before Johnson, um, but Johnson kind of said, "Well, like, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that actually sounds pretty good to me. I guess." Yeah, it's really crazy that a Massachusetts Democrat would select a Texas Democrat to be your running mate, and Robert Kennedy, so JFK's brother, hates Johnson. Because Johnson was all about attacking the Kennedy family. He even goes so far to say that JFK offered the position to Johnson just as a courtesy and really didn't expect him to accept. Right, which we'll never know if that's true or not, but it seems kind of (laughs) strange from my point of view to offer someone something you don't want them to take. But it's politics, so that happens. So anyway, there you go. You've got uh, Kennedy and Johnson running for the Democratic Party. How about the Republican Party, Jason? Yeah, so poor USA. Everybody loves Ike. Everybody likes Ike. And he can't run again. So why not take a look at the VP, Richard Nixon? He's not a crook. No, not at all. And you've got him. You've got Governor Nelson Rockefeller who is more of a liberal Republican, but he's like, nah, I'm going to throw my support behind Nixon. Right. And he did do a little bit of a tour around the nation and kind of saw, nah, most people favor Nixon. I know how to win a race. I'm going to win it by throwing my hat behind the person. Throwing my hat behind the person? Is that how that works? Sure. Why not? 
I'm going to throw my hat behind the person who's going to probably get the nomination anyway, which is Nixon. And we trademarked that <laughs> phrase as well. That one's not as good. <laughs> it's not as good as the first one. Yeah. So by the time they go to the Republican National Convention, the only other candidate that receives any consequential vote <laughs> would be Senator Barry Goldwater, who uh, many of us would know as a staunch conservative. Uh, he gets 10 votes and that's it. So go Nixon. Yeah. So Nixon uh, goes ahead and decides a guy we've never, ever heard of Henry Cabot Lodge Jr. Uh, doesn't oh, yeah. sound familiar to me oh, no. uh, to be his vice presidential candidate. Yeah, so Nixon selects Henry Cabot Lodge Jr. because of his awesome rock star status in the foreign policy area. He was the UN ambassador, the U.S. representative um, to the United Nations. So go Nixon, go Lodge. So there you have it. You have our Republican candidates, you have our Democratic candidates, and... um that's all we're going to talk about because the other parties don't even make a dent in in this election. Right. That's not enough to talk about. So, so during campaigning, Kennedy pretty much says that Eisenhower, the Republicans, the nation, everybody has fallen behind the Soviet Union in the Cold War. And if you know anything about the Cold War and about the U.S. and Soviet Union's relations together, that is not a good thing. The nation does not want to hear that they're behind someone else, especially especially the dirty, rotten Soviet Union. Yeah. And meanwhile, Nixon is like, hey, we're in a Cold War with the Soviets. Kennedy, you are way too young. You're inexperienced. And you cannot be trusted to be the president in this crucial time. Right. And so both, I mean, both Kennedy and Nixon were both pretty popular. They both drew a lot of big crowds. Uh, they They both got a lot of people who threw their support behind them. Um, there was a poll early on that actually said Nixon had a lead, but only a slight lead. And that's pretty incredible for a young guy who nobody's heard of. Well, not nobody's heard of, but very few people have had much experience with. Yeah. And to Nixon's detriment, Ike was not really that excited about Nixon. And if you remember in our last program where we talked about uh, just a touched on the relationship just a little bit. It seemed like the two really didn't get along very much at all. And Eisenhower was being interviewed by time magazine and the reporter said, Hey, Ike, can you give an example of a major idea that Richard Nixon came up with that you listened to? And Ike said, if you give me a week, I might think of one. Ouch. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It really damages Nixon's reputation. And the Democrats even use Eisenhower's statement in a TV commercial. Right. So that's just the first or one of many things that go south for Nixon. The next thing we have is Nixon actually says, I'm going to campaign in all 50 states. If you like me, you will have the opportunity to see me. Even if you don't like me, you'll have the opportunity to see me. And that was going great until Nixon actually gets injured while he's campaigning. Uh, he gets hurt on uh, a car door. 
And so his knee gets infected. He has to go to the hospital. He has to quit campaigning for a couple of weeks. He has to go on antibiotics. <laughs> and then he leaves the hospital and he sticks true to his word, which is super honorable. He sticks true to his word that he's going to visit every state. But the problem is he visits states that aren't he's not going to win. Definitely. He visits states that he most definitely uh, could win, but won't really make a difference one way or another. And instead, he doesn't get to go to the states that would have mattered most. So honorable that he wanted to, to um, continue his promise to visit all 50 states. Um, but it really hurt him a lot. Yeah. Anytime you spend the weekend before the election campaigning in Alaska with their three electoral votes, mm-hmm. um, you can see Russia from people's houses there. Of course. But... It's probably not a good idea while your opponent is in New Jersey, Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania racking up some sp- support. On the plus side, he did win Alaska, though. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the next thing that goes wrong for Nixon is something he met, I'm sure, very well-intentioned, but went over very poorly. He says, if I become president, I will have a black person on my cabinet. And... That remark didn't go over real well. A lot of black people and non-black people and people everywhere in between just saw it as pandering. And this is just, you know, you just want to do this to win our votes, uh, which may or may not have been true. But at any rate, he did. He said something that would probably now would go over very well. And at that point went over very poorly. Yeah. So that's rough because I'm sure the intentions were good, but. You just need to be a little bit more genuine <laughs> than, right, exactly. than that saying, hey, I see a political opportunity here. Right. So Even if that was his intention, not voicing it would have helped him more than voicing it. Exactly. So really, one cool thing about this election cycle is that you have the Kennedy-Nixon debates, which there were four of them. And the first one takes place while he's still recovering from his knee injury. Right. And so Nixon like had just kind of gotten out of the hospital. He looks a little sickly. He didn't get shaved beforehand. Uh, his clothes are probably a little bit more wrinkled than they should have been. And remember, the TVs are black and white, so you can see every kind of contrast with nothing in between. And he just doesn't look good at all. Yeah, and Kennedy, he's all rested and he's looking good. He looks like he's just, you know, spent some time out on the beach. He's confident. And 70 million people watched that debate. That's a lot of people in 1960. Yeah. That's a lot of people now. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And when you're watching this confident person who's looking good going against somebody who just got out of the hospital, who's got some stubble on his face and all like most of the viewers say Kennedy won this thing while the radio listeners said, "Mm, "Ah, we think Nixon won. Right. And there is some speculation that maybe that's because people who have TVs would normally lean towards Kennedy and people who only have a radio would normally lean towards Nixon. Apart from that, if you ever see any kind of footage or listen to any kind of audio from it, it's clear that um, Kennedy is much more put together physically than Nixon at that point. Yeah. 
So there were the other debates, and it was pretty mixed. Um, now, the subsequent debates didn't have quite as many viewers as that first one, but it was said that Nixon won the second and third debates, and the fourth debate was pretty much a toss-up. Right, yeah. And this is kind of a turning point for debates as well. And it was a turning point for television in some sense as well, because they actually took uh, Nixon was in Los Angeles and Kennedy was in New York and they put them on identical sets because they couldn't both be in the same place at the same time. So they put them on identical sets and actually used uh, this new innovative, never before seen split screen technology to make it look like they were in the same room. And so not only is this a big feat for uh, presidential debates, but it's a big feat for television because this hadn't really been done before, on, especially on live television. Yeah, it's crazy because even the moderator, Bill Shadle, he was in Chicago, right? <laughs> so this was really a cross-country instant viewing type event. So yay technology. Yeah, crazy. Hey, so we talked a little bit more about um, we talked a little bit about the the Roman Catholic issue with Kennedy, and how that kind of affected some Protestants' view of him. Uh, and we also talked about the fact that he picked Johnson as a kind of a, a given a little bit to the Southern Democrats because he knew that, that he was popular with them. He could carry those states, um, but the religious issue is still so big that Kennedy has to go, feels like he has to go and make a speech in the newspaper, uh, speech in the newspaper. He gives a speech <laughs> to the newspaper editors, which they then put into the newspaper, uh, talking about how religion just took so much precedence over other topics. And he feels like other things are, are more important. Um, and this kind of uh, really helps a lot of viewers and readers and, uh, people in the nation, I don't want to say get past that, but certainly they don't want to feel petty at that point. Yeah, he worded it really well, too, where he said, I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I'm the Democratic Party's candidate for president who happens to be a Catholic. I don't speak for my church on public matters, and the church does not speak for me. Right. So he kind of just says, if you have, if this is a concern, stop letting it be a concern. And um, spoiler alert, he's so far uh, the only and was the first Roman Catholic president uh, of our nation. Yeah. Another thing that really propels Kennedy along with the whole civil rights issue is that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested in Georgia while leading a march. Nixon does not involve himself at all with the incident. But JFK places calls to local politicians and authorities to get King released from jail. And he's calling King's father, as well as his wife. And King's father endorses Kennedy. So you have the African-American community very much on Kennedy's side from this point forward. The other huge thing that we have kind of danced around here a little bit and that the nation, quite frankly, danced around was the Cold War and the tensions between the Soviet Union and the United States. And you also have Sputnik before this election, three years before this election, had been launched. And that's a huge thing because we're behind. And uh, there's just so many public opinion polls that says 
pretty much half or more of the American people think that the nation is going to war with the Soviet Union. And so Kennedy takes full advantage of that and um, talks about the fact that a lot of people think maybe we're not as prepared as the Soviet Union. Yeah, this was a huge deal because you have the issue of Fidel Castro and his revolution going on in Cuba, which is 90 miles away from the Florida coast. Uh, He's being supported by the Soviets. And I mean, the enemy is knocking at our door. Right. It's definitely a big issue that that they argued about and discussed and talked about. And uh, it definitely pulled people dramatically in one way or the other. Jason, do you want to talk about the uh you know how the how the whole election went? Yeah, I I would suppose since it's election college, right? Yeah, I guess. All right. <laughs> so this election's like huge. It, it's it's uh insanely popular. Many people are watching. People are totally in suspense because the race was close. Uh at least the polls were showing that it was close. And on top of all that, this is one of the first elections in which a majority of America has a television set. Right. So Nixon is in LA watching the returns. Kennedy is at the compound, Kennedy compound in Hyannisport, Massachusetts. And the results are coming in from the big Northeastern and Midwestern cities. And it's like, whoa, Kennedy has a huge lead. But then as the results are coming in, from the more rural and suburban areas, Nixon is closing the gap. Yeah, for sure. And so the New York Times actually starts printing papers that say Kennedy elected president at the beginning when everything's going his way. And everybody's like, yeah, for sure he's going to win. And then things start turning. And the managing editor of the Times is like, oh, man, remember a few years ago when the Chicago, Chicago Tribune was like, hey, Thomas Dewey won. And Thomas Dewey didn't win, and they had already printed all those papers. <laughs> I really hope that that isn't about to happen to us. Yeah, so everybody's on pins and needles about going ahead and calling the election because of the whole thing with Dewey uh, and Eisenhower. But it becomes pretty evident that when it comes to the Electoral College, Kennedy is the clear winner. And... Ben, this reminds me of back towards the beginning of our podcast series when we were talking about the Electoral College, how, Mm -hmm. sure, you can win a majority of the states, you can even win the popular vote, but it's the election, (laughs) it's the Electoral College. I'm not even going to be calling election college the right thing, the Electoral (laughs) College the right thing. I'm all mixed up, but the Electoral College is what I'm talking about. Right. You can win the Electoral College by a huge number, as was the case with Kennedy. He gets 303 electoral votes and Nixon gets 219. So Nixon actually wins more states than Kennedy, but Kennedy wins pretty decisively. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. Kennedy and Johnson are the new president and vice president of the United States in 1960. Yeah, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories and stories and anecdotes about voter fraud in this election. 
The case with Illinois is quite interesting as well as Texas, but we're just going to leave it at that. Kennedy is the next president of the United States. Maybe someday we'll do a, an episode on voter fraud. I think that'd be a cool one. I think so too. Yeah. Hey, so if you haven't done so already, go ahead and bookmark uh, our Amazon link. When you go to electioncollege.com slash Amazon and you buy things like you normally would, you can help out Election College. You can help us pay our bills and um, you know, just kind of keep the show going and helping us out. Uh, it doesn't cost you any more money. You shop on Amazon just like you normally would. But if you shop at electioncollege.com slash Amazon, you'll be helping us out. And another thing that would really help us out a lot is if you would take 30 seconds, head over to iTunes. You can use our shortened URL for that, which is electioncollege.com slash iTunes. And leave us a star rating, and we really appreciate your review. Let us know what you think about this election. Let us know if you think we got anything wrong or if we got anything right that is not commonly gotten right. That's probably not going to be the one. If we got anything wrong or you <laughs> want to comment on anything, you can connect with us on all the social media channels out there as long as we're on them. <laughs> so we love to hear from uh, listeners, and uh, we thank those of you who do interact quite regularly. Yeah. So that's it for 1960. We'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.